Welcome to the Value Investor TV podcast. This is a podcast that helps you grow your wealth and become financially independent. My name is Becco and my guest, Matthew Peterson. Welcome again to the podcast. Thank you, Becco. It's nice to be here. Yeah. So if you guys haven't listened to the first episode, please do. Uh, we talked about Matt, uh, you know, Matt's background, what he does, his fund, and really interesting conversation about his three-step investment process. I think you guys would get a lot out of it. It's very unique. Um, and also his perspective as a fund manager, I think is really interesting. Um, yeah, so go check that out. Step one, two, and three, very exciting stuff. Uh, there's a lot there. So in this episode, uh, we will continue on uh, on our conversation that we left off in part one about your market commentary. Uh, you know, and I posed the question of, is value dead? What is value investing anyway? Like, what is the what is the definition of value investing? You know, is it the old value investing where you look at book value? Have we evolved? Um, so we, we talked about that uh, towards the end of part one, and I wanted to use you know, at least initial part of part two here to talk about dig into dig into that conversation a little bit more. And I think it's, it's I think that that topic is especially pertinent as we are approaching here the first week of February. But last week, you know, there was a huge frenzy with the short squeeze uh, of GameStop mm-hmm. and, you know, crazy runs we've been seeing um, with Tesla and whatnot. The market has been sort of just, you know, on a rocket ship in some in some areas. So I love you. I love to get, kind of get your take on this uh, as a as a fund manager who is whose orientation is orientation is is pretty value uh, value orientation. So. Uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll uh, toss it to you, Matt. What do you what do you take? What do you think of um, the market frenzies and and is value dead? Let's continue uh, continue to pull on that thread here. There are a lot of uh, there are a lot of takeaways from that question. There's a lot of uh, directions we can go. I'll I'll start with sort of I think a probably contrarian opinion and view. First of all, nobody has a crystal ball. So the macroeconomics is very difficult. And, um, and if you choose the right companies uh, at a very micro level and you're holding for the long term, it's like they need to be, survi- they need to be thriving and surviving in any environment anyway. So um, you know, whether, the, whether you have a headwind or a tailwind, you just kind of keep swimming and, uh, and you need companies that will operate well in all of these environments. So um, certainly that's one aspect from the portfolio, but from a contrarian perspective, you know, I, I hear constantly uh, this view, like, "Oh, look at these bubbles! Look at this, and look at that." And um, and yeah, there's going to be volatility along the way, but I don't, I don't actually think that at this point, I don't think that um, I think the markets can continue to climb. I think 2021 is going to be an outstanding year, actually, and um, and I think that uh, I think that people have misunderstand to some degree what these low interest rates do, uh, and what all the stimulus is doing. Mm-hmm. So we have, we have, you know, 8 trillion in stimulus that just went out a few months ago, and there's about to be another massive stimulus package. And then there's going to be all sorts of infrastructure spending. There's gonna be all sorts of jobs that get created. And, uh, and people are pent up in their house right now, waiting to go out and do anything. Um, die, you know, we're like, we're like, uh, you know, uh, 
closing down the economy and people are screaming about it. People want to rip off their masks. They want to get back and go out to the bars and go on an airplane and take vacation. I mean, when this uh, vaccine rolls out and really rolls out, uh, people, you know, I've been looking at the money market data. Uh, there's suddenly four trillion, there's four, four and a half trillion sitting in customer money markets day earning zero. Uh, and the Fed is doing everything they can to create inflation. They've even changed um, what their target is. So their target used to be 2% inflation. Now it's average 2% inflation. And we've gone through a decade of zero inflation. So if they achieve that level of success, what Powell is likely to do is let inflation run above 2% to absorb this uh, debt that has gone out over COVID. So what that means is the, the people that are going to pay for COVID are going to be the cash holders, and the fixed income bond holders, um, and they're going to inflate their way out of this debt. Uh, so eight trillions went out. It went out in a very different way. Instead of the financial crisis, where it sits on the financial statements of banks, and they can't get anybody to lend. And by the way, that was seven hundred billion. That was unprecedented. Seven hundred billion. Now we're eight trillion. Uh, instead, they did it through PPP loans, increases to unemployment just direct payers, M1, e, M1 money direct into the bank accounts of individuals, and then people don't have anywhere to spend it. So, uh, and I understand there are people suffering, people are hurting. I know that's painful for many, but at a macro level, when you look at what's going on in money market accounts earning zero, now you flip on an inflation switch. And I know we've been waiting and waiting and waiting for inflation, but at some point we're gonna have inflation. Uh, I think it's probably we're getting there. And uh, and when that happens, there, it's not going to take long for people to realize they're losing purchasing power. And then where what are their options? Uh, you know, there's no yield anywhere. So they have to go into the equity markets and or into real estate, maybe. And uh, and so I think we're at the beginning of a of a big wave where everyone still rushes in. You know, everyone's sitting on the sidelines. So I disagree uh, there are bubbles in pockets. Um, I think that we're going to, we're probably going to navigate this pretty well. I think that will probably surprise earnings will surprise the upside. If you want to think about it in terms of just everything's opportunity cost. So if you're in a, uh, if you're in a 2% bond, you're in a PE of 50 without any upside. There's not, you don't get more than par. So you're a PE of 50. You hear people all the time. Well, I'm going to hold until, until, uh, maturity. So it doesn't matter if if interest rates rise and the bond price falls in the interim. Okay, great. So you just got 2% over 10 years. I mean, this sounds just like awful. Um, alternatively, you can buy like a massively growing business that's just compounding revenue at unbelievable rates with very low necessary capital to reinvest in the business. Number of different opportunities. I'm not thinking of any particular business, but I'm just like throwing out metrics from FANG stocks. And we don't own any in the portfolio, but you just own one of these and it's like you get all the upside. Maybe there's a P of 30. Uh, and I know P is whatever. It's not like the highest quality metric, but if you're comparing a PE of a bond versus a P of a of a great growing business, I'd much rather have a P of 30. Uh, I don't know what the P of the S&P 500 is right now. Uh, do you know, Becco? It might be 20... Uh, something Low around 20s. there, yeah. Maybe has yeah. has creeped up a little bit recently. If uh, yeah, if it's if it's low twenties, and the alternative is like a, a bond fund with a PE of fifty, uh, interest rates I think will stay low. By the way, 
Um, so I think that inflation will run up, but we will still be fighting high unemployment figures. That's mm-hmm. uh, that's a likely outcome. Mm-hmm. And in that case, I don't think we'll raise interest rates. Uh, so we'll have low interest rates and a little bit of inflation. And uh, and that is prob- not hyperinflation, I don't think, but just a little bit. And that probably bodes well for the market over the next uh, bit of time. I mean, there's a lot of folks out there trying to kind of sell fear, uh, you know, Grantham's out there doing it. There's a lot of people out there doing it, but I, I do think, uh, we're walking on a, we're kind of walking on a tightrope, but I, it seems like we're doing a good job of navigating this crisis. Mm-hmm. It feels like there's a, there's a few things that you mentioned that I want to just kind of touch on here. The mm-hmm. increase in money supply, that unprecedented level of money coming into the market, just coming into the economy overall. But like you mentioned, the, the, you know, this is a direct injection of cash into people's hands like never, like the world has never seen. And on top of that, this sort of K-shaped employ- or K-shaped recovery, it was originally going to be mm-hmm. L-shaped and now it's K-shaped. The, the unemployment rate still, you know, going to be you know, it's going to be K-shaped. So the, the, the federal government all around the world, federal banks or central banks all around the world are continuing to pump money into the market because of the bifurcation of the economy. I think there's a lot of political risk as well. And on top of that, you were seeing initial signs of recovery already, right? I mean, some and this earnings season, for example, some companies yeah. are coming out and saying that we've had a tremendous quarter. Mm-hmm. And all this That's money right. sitting in in the wild, they're search, they're hungry for yield. The bond market obviously is not going to cut it at this inflation. And you know, I've heard the saying at one of the podcasts, like Apple stock is now the new Treasury bond, or whatever. Like these, right. like blue chip or Berkshire Hathaway. Ber- Look at Berkshire. Berkshire Hathaway. Why? How? I don't understand the people that can't find investments in this environment. There's actually so many attractive opportunities. I truly don't understand it. They're like, I, we have, there's so many ideas. We just don't have, we, we, we just put money to work immediately. Berkshire Hathaway is selling for like less than 1.2 times book, I think, or it's right around that point. They have a, you know, you can't ask for a better opportunity. If you just want safety, I think you're going to outperform the S&P 500 and most fund managers, professionals fail to do that. So here you have just like this uh, layup opportunity. Yeah. Uh, I tell people who don't qualify for our fund all the time, just take your capital and split it 50-50 between the S&P 500 and Berkshire Hathaway and go on vacation. You don't need to do anything else. And you're going to beat all of your friends and most professional money managers. So Berkshire Hathaway is a fine example, just like Apple is a fine example. Uh-huh. Yeah. And in fact, like Berkshire Hathaway, I think the biggest biggest holding right now is Apple, isn't it? Yeah. So you get Apple yeah. through your <laughs> yeah. Berkshire Hathaway. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, so the kind of macro uh, kind of landscape, th- uh, thank you for kind of touching on that. Um, and, and, and obviously, I think, you know, some people will stay away from the market just because they think that, you know, it's going to crash at some point and, and it might be immediate crash, they think. But, you know, um, obviously, you have a different take here. I think what could be just shifting gears here a bit and, har- you know, harping back to what we talked about in the last episode, which is your investment process and checklist of things that you look for in a good company um why don't we just quickly rehash it and then talk about company that you are interested in right now which is daily journal so give us just a quick rundown of things that you look for in a good company and why you're excited about daily journal 
So we talked a lot about process. Um, and I do think that process is a little different than checklists. And by the way, I have multiple checklists. So I, for example, have a crisis management checklist, which is probably the most important checklist. So that's uh, when you when you get into it, when you hit March 2020, uh, you know, we're not immune to human emotion. Uh, and it's important to have that checklist ready to go. And, uh, and there's other, you know, there's buy checklists that I have and there's sell checklists that I have. And it's just, uh, and, and a lot of it is very, very simple uh, activity, but things that need to be done and in a certain state of mind, whether it's total euphoria or total panic, uh, you still need to go through the checklist and it's important to have it um, from a, a previously rational mindset where you can say, yes, okay, this is, I've, I've gone through all of my piece of due diligence. Uh, what I believe you're asking for is about this process where we're doing um, this um, sort of massive 13F analysis um, that brings together sort of a pool, narrows down, say, 10,000 investable securities to a few hundred. From there, we do the deep fundamental work, um, and that's just an ongoing uh, thing in many cases. Um, you mentioned Daily Journal. I'll tell you, we were doing research for eight years before we bought any. Uh, and um, and then we also have this uh, step I called structure value, where we'll use structured products uh, to enter into our position and get our exposure as a way to lowering our purchase price. So that would be things like selling a short put as a tool to owning the equity, exiting through covered calls, which is the opposite. And um, and then there can be other products like a warrant or something else. So um, that's sort of step three. And then I, I do kind of mention step four, which is the, the whole portfolio um, uh, allocation, asset allocation in the portfolio and the whole portfolio design in the first place. Um, interestingly enough, you're asking about Daily Journal, which because it's such a unique firm, there are no options on it. So we can't oh, do step three. Interesting. <laughs> ah. But uh but step three is valuable in 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 most situations. But by the way, the point being, uh, if there's an outstanding opportunity, we're not going to miss it just because we can't sneak in below retail New York Stock Exchange prices. I mean, we're, we'll we'll pay retail for something great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So so um, the three the three stages. Um... And, you know, the second portion there, doing the deep analysis, you're looking for superior management, superior business value, and obviously the price has to be right to pay for these, these businesses. Yes. And so, uh, you know, shifting gears to talking about specifically Daily Journal and why you are excited about Daily Journal. You know, th this company mm -hmm. has been around for a long time, I think, as, as you guys, listeners, will understand. And some people probably do know this company already. But you know, this is very, very stacked company when it comes to management. I think when it comes to business model, it's evolved quite a bit from what it used to be. So I think you'll find that surprising. So Matt, why don't you kind of walk us through why you find Daily Journal interesting? Yeah, and I'll caveat this um, with a few things. I So typically we don't talk about holdings because it creates this commitment and consistency bias. Usually the feedback you receive if you're a fund manager and you talk about holdings is everybody who disagrees with you. And especially when you're in a value community, uh, you're usually making some contrarian position. And so it's very easy because you're doing the opposite of what you know the herd is doing. 
It's very easy. So then it, what happens is everybody disagrees and you uh, defend yourself and you end up just pounding in the ideas in your head. And if you um, then ever want to change your mind, it becomes very difficult. Yeah. And um, so typically that's um, typically that's the approach. I've actually made the decision with Daily Journal to discuss it to some degree for several reasons. One of them being um, I don't mind pounding it into my head because it's truly a multi-decade compounder. Um, this isn't, I'm not pitching something that's going to double tomorrow. Uh, I'm telling you about a firm that has such, that it, that fits all of the criteria so clearly uh, that is going to, uh, that is in a space that is has has so much potential uh, that if you can understand and do the sort of diligence that we did, and I'll share some of it with you, uh, you can see that there's just massive future cash flows coming, and and they don't exist today, and they didn't exist in the past, and so the financial statements are totally misleading, which um, which makes uh, which makes this a huge mystery to most people, and um, and that's what created. Uh, some of the interest for me. So do you want me to jump into the, I, I mean, yep, I can walk please. through the thesis. And, and by the way, folks can go to um, our website or which is petersonfunds.com or there's some YouTube uh, stuff uh, where you can see some more detail because um, this will, I'll try and go quick. Uh, a bunch of, so I've been attending in LA, you know, so I found that this isn't on the 13F analysis. So actually step one doesn't work either. <laughs> <laughs> so Step one and step three are out. This is a unique case. Right. So, so uh, those are, but those are still enormously valuable and they probably helped me find this. So, uh, you know, this is Charlie Munger's firm. Uh, 44 years ago or something, Charlie Munger and Rick Gurren uh, bought a newspaper and called Daily Journal for $2 million. And over the uh, decades, they ended up with 10 million newspapers and then they started an equity portfolio inside. Uh, and the equity portfolio has grown significantly. And um, and I've been attending these daily journal meetings because it's Charlie Munger, and there's about a thousand groupies that fill this conference room in LA each year. Uh, and they don't even talk about the company. They don't even. They, it's just Q and A, and nobody asks about Daily Journal. Uh, people want to know about Stoic philosophy and and all sorts of other things. Mm -hmm. So um, Charlie talks briefly about a few aspects, and one thing. Uh, he started mentioning was this very obscure subsidiary journal technologies um, that was operating a big space and providing, um, you know, he didn't really even say this, but he's, it's providing court and uh, government agency uh, software solutions. And um, it's a SaaS business, essentially. So I became interested and started asking first, usually my first stop is to ask all my buddies who are also fund managers and nobody had any clue. Uh, and that becomes interesting. Usually, I think I mentioned the other episode, what Kaufman always says, who's on the board of Daily Journal, that where there's mystery, there's margin. And this is a clear example of there being, um, there being a lot of uh, mystery. And so uh, after trying to find out what they were, were, were creating uh, and not being able to, um, you know, there's this another, another um, uh you know, sort of analogy I like, it's like the map is not the terrain. And so you look at the financial statements and it's like, okay, this is a map of what the company is, but what is the company really? What I ended up finding was that there was a customer training conference going on in Utah 
And so I couldn't get in because I didn't have court IDs or government credentials. And uh, but I realized, you know, uh, believe it or not, there's not a huge demand to go to a customer training conference. Uh, so I just booked a room in the hotel and I sat in the lobby for three days and I interviewed all the customers as they were going between their um, going between their rooms and things. And what I learned was amazing. I learned everything. Um, came back f- understanding that. Um, the revenue is totally missing from the financial mm-hmm. statements. The number one thing that I learned for, for what, the time we have here is that uh, they are going through a multi-year uh, RFP and implementation process with their software. Um, it's not a. This is not a newspaper business at all. This is a technology firm, and their software requires four to seven years to go live with a new customer and client. And part of their competitive advantage and part of their moat because of the management teams involved is that they don't bill a penny until go live. So there are contracts for uh, sometimes hundreds of thousands, in some cases, tens of millions of dollars. Those are like 10-year contracts, and they're totally missing from the financial statements. Hmm. However, all of the costs of these implementations are on the financial statements. Hmm. So just a brief background, what do we have to do? We had to go county by county across America and look from their perspective and try to figure out, does anybody owe Daily Journal money? Hmm. And we found so much money. Hmm. LA owes them 5 million. Austin, Texas owes them a million. Uh, I was able to uncover over 100 contracts. Australia has one contract for 89 million, a second contract for 16 million. Hmm. Okay. So daily journal itself is a 450 call it market cap firm. And inside of daily journal, they actually have their, their equity portfolio, which primarily consists today of BYD stock, but it's mostly unchanging. Charlie bottom ticked it to the day in in 2009 Hmm. and it's been BYD and a few banks. And uh, it's worth $311 million. Uh, plus, <clears throat> they have $27 million in cash and they own three office buildings, which on the balance sheet, they hold at 17. But if you do comparables, it's like $33 million. So all of these fairly liquid assets and then the real estate bucket and actually keep the financial, uh, everything's conservative. So keep the real estate at the price they market at, mm-hmm. you know, uh, It'd be, it's, it's something, uh, uh, it's 355. Uh, so 310, give or take for the equity Equity. plus cash and real estate. So they're at 355 and, and then they have debt. The funny thing about the debt is that it's such a weird dynamic. It's all mostly 60 million of it, long-term deferred capital tax, capital gains tax. Mm. So non-callable, they never have to pay it until they sell their securities, which they're not really selling. Uh, 0% interest. I mean, it's sort of debt, but if you really think about it, if they're gonna pay that amount in 10 years, you'd actually sort of discount that debt, right? Uh, so there's 60 million in that debt. They have a $30 million margin loan mm. that they borrowed at 3% to service and start this whole technology company. And then they have a sliver of like a million and a half in real estate. Uh, hmm. mortgages. So uh, out of the 355 in assets, they have 90 in debt. And uh, and so, you know, call it 265 or so on a 450 million market cap firm, Daily Journal, the technology piece is under 200 million bucks. 
and I will tell you with all the missing revenue, they have 35 million in revenue today. So you're taking a SaaS business run by all, which is the greatest business model today in this economy. I mean, it's up there for sure. And uh, it's run by the icons of the business world. In fact, their newest board member, if any of your viewers have read uh, The Outsiders, uh, Thomas Murphy is, is um, was the CEO of Capital Cities ABC. And all of this stuff is very secretive. But uh, Mary Conlon just joined the board. And it took me uh, six months of passive searching to until I came across a wedding invitation from the 90s and realized that Mary Conlon was born Mary Murphy. She married John Conlon. And actually, that's Tom Murphy's daughter who was one when he took over Capital Cities ABC. And she went to Harvard and she run all these business and she was a star at Warner Brothers and Pixar. And now she's on the board with Charlie Munger and Peter Kaufman. I'm like, <laughs> that sounds wonderful. Wow. So she's uh, retired 56. She's running the company now and on the board as well. Um, and, uh, and so look, it's, it's, uh, you've got these amazing folks running the business under 200 million, they have 35 million in revenue. So you're getting all of this at five times revenue and the revenue is missing. It's just a no brainer. It's like just a no brainer. Um, and I'm not, and I actually, um, you know, I'm not trying to pitch it at all. I'd actually, I don't, I, I want to buy more. I don't mind the price being low. Uh, but there's something else that's very interesting. And this is a way that I approach a lot of our investments um, is that I'm looking for a lot of asymmetry in the potential outcome because everything has probabilistic futures. Uh, there is a possibility that the technology totally fails and it's not really possible, but it's, you know, let's just say something terrible happens. Um, and, but if it totally fails, uh, I look at this scenario with the 310 or 11 million market cap portfolio, plus a few of these other aspects. Plus, by the way, we're putting all their 10 newspapers at zero. It's not really at zero. But even the equity portfolio will compound into the current market cap of the of the of daily journal over the next, say, five years. So if you give yourself a five-year time horizon, I think either the technology is really working or you have a or you have an equity portfolio. So your downside becomes so muted. So you get a very muted downside and an upside that can go totally parabolic. By our conservative models, we expect about a hundred million in revenue annually in 2030. Hmm. And uh, Tyler Technology is their biggest competitor. Uh, they sell for 15 times revenue. They're, they're huge. They do all sorts of other things other than just courthouse SaaS management. They're also in public school systems and adoption agencies and everything else. A place where Daily Journal could potentially go, but they don't need, the space is so big and so underrepresented that they have like two decades of runway before the market starts to get saturated. Uh, but even at that point, they could branch off into all sorts of different activities. Um, so anyway, if you have a hundred million in revenue in a decade and you give it a very reasonable multiple, maybe it's 10 or 12. You've kind of got a billion or billion two business, and then you've got a portfolio that's probably compounded. So I don't mean to keep going on here, but um, you'll be in a situation, I think, where you have a billion and a half or two billion uh, market cap coming from 400 and change today. And, uh, 
and it's really uh, it the risk reward is so attractive. Mm-hmm. You can just sit back and compound at double digit returns for a long period of time. Mm. It's interesting. Um, it's interesting the 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 hidden, like you said early on, the mystery. Mystery is where the alpha lies and here you have a company that's trading market cap of 450 but if you really peel the onions the core technology business is 200 being very gen- being very conservative um, 200 um, 200 market cap trading at five times revenue and you have a competitor just in, on an immediate short-term time horizon you have a competitor that's trading at 15 times right 15 times revenue that's right, right. And so, I'll, I'll share with you, and this is not to be derogatory in any way, um, but Charlie makes these comments. He, he says things that the, you can go look at the transcripts of the Daily Journal meetings, and there will be little, uh, few sentences on this business. And he'll say something like, uh, well, it's not our business to judge uh, the competition publicly, but we do wish that all of our competitors in all of our businesses were like Tyler Technology, which is sort of a backhanded way of saying uh, we're in a government bureaucratic environment. And uh, I think if you are uh, pretty good, you can go really far because uh, it's you're not in Silicon Valley. You're in a courthouse in Missouri trying to compete for their technology space. Mm-hmm. And I imagine in terms of competitive advantage, like the, the switching cost here is, is absolutely enormous. Once you install That's one right. of these things, it's just going to be such a pain to rip those out. Um, so lifetime value I, of a I customer. Will share, Go ahead. Yeah, I will share with you that, um, first of all, when I went to the conference, I thought, I need to, I'm going to a tech conference. Mm. So I need to get some tennis shoes. I need to be, you know, hip. And, um, and I showed up and what I realized was it was more like going to the DMV or (laughs) some sort of government, not in a terrible way, but in a, um, you know, a lot of the customers are, they're wonderful people. Um, but they are also working for a pension, for example. Um, it's a different level of ambitious and of ambition in that group. And um, the reason I'm saying that is that they are very happy to learn this software once, um, but I cannot emphasize the, the switching costs run so deep, it goes to the employee's rejection of any willingness to switch. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, 10 years in, uh, it's going to be very, very difficult from a technological standpoint to rip it out. It's going to be very difficult from a cultural perspective mm-hmm. to rip it out. Mm-hmm. Um, so if Tyler gets it, Tyler gets it. And if Journal gets it, Journal gets it. Uh, and I think it's there to stay. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the nation is um, very fragmented and internationally very fragmented. So a local IT provider got a contract in the 90s or early 2000s. And they built out something, um, but it's going to be usually has a lot of bugs and, um, you know, it functions, but it doesn't do the same. It's not anywhere near the type of quality of what uh, journal technologies provides. So, uh, so with, 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 I mean, obviously it sounds very compelling 
in terms of the asymmetrical kind of positioning of this company in terms of the upside and downside here. With these, like what could be, I guess I'll pose a question to you. Why hasn't it been found? I guess it's a mystery. I mean, like the revenue stuff, but is there an issue with the PR? Like as a company, the way it represents itself? I mean, obviously we talked about this sort of in the first half of the episode where the value, people think that's dead and obviously people associate value with Charlie Munger and like, is there something there in terms of sort of I don't PR think that branding? PR, uh, so there's no PR, there's no investor relations, there's nothing. In fact, uh, Salzman is the CEO, the CFO, the treasurer and the secretary. Hmm. So this is quite a unique business. Um, look, in first level thinking, it's like people look to PR. Uh, they want to read the reports. They want to get all their research kind of handed to them. Uh, but realistically, I don't think that the board or Charlie really care what the stock price does. It's just not their point at all. They're actually trying to uh, change and enhance and make the courts of this nation and world much more efficient. And frankly, they're trying to, they, they don't have to move. It's not a high bar. Okay. Mm. They just, they, they are implementing incredible technology um, to a very antiquated analog system. Uh, and the reason there's no competition, by the way, is because it's also incredibly bureaucratic. Yep. So they have to get in there and every case is a little bit different. And, you know, it's not true SaaS where it's just rinse, repeat across the nation. Um, there's all sorts of interfaces that are needed to interact with all sorts of external agencies and other departments and groups. So yep. um, it does it does need to be customized, which is um, uh, so the risk isn't really in IR, in my view. I think they're just intentionally left it out. But nobody knows when I when I I, I really emphasize this is a big secret. I mean, they're the only people. There's very few people. When you go into the real world, Becco, there's very few people who actually know who Charlie Munger is when you say the name. And it's shocking to me, but it just is the case. Everyone knows who Warren Buffett is. They don't know who Charlie Munger is. If you know who Charlie Munger is, you probably don't recognize that he runs Daily Journal and you probably don't even care. And then if you are one of the few that make the pilgrimage now to Los Angeles to a Daily Journal meeting, you're not there to figure out what journal technologies is. So when I say nobody knows, I really mean it's a secret. Mm. Uh, and the financial statements are very misleading. Mm. Munger has actually made comments like, uh, you can't look at our financial statements and get a very good idea of what we're doing. Mm. He's also made statements where he says, some of you might be shareholders, but you don't deserve what you're going to get because mm. he knows that they don't know <laughs> what's going on. Uh, so, Look, I think it's going to be a bumpy ride. Uh, I don't think there, and I'll, I'll share with you, there's there's major risks, if you want to know. There's a cultural risk inside of Daily Journal. Mm -hmm. There are risks of, uh, there's actually technical debt, which is a firm you, term you may be familiar with, Becca. Mm -hmm. So they've built so much new technology on top of uh, old languages and 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 mm. solutions that when they do version upgrades, a lot of things break and it 
makes them go back and send in people then to go back and redo projects. So they need to get, take care of some of their technical debt. Mm. They have an issue where they have two products and they're ending one and they're trying to get everyone to migrate. Uh, that migration may or may not, I think it's going to go fairly well. Uh, however, not everyone can afford to migrate. Some of the customers are upset and unwilling to migrate. Uh, but the bigger issue is that the revenue from the first product that they're sunsetting uh, made up about five to eight million of the 35 in JTI. Mm. So that's going to fall off next year. So what people who are only staring at the financial statements are going to see is revenues at 35. Then they'll probably see maybe, you know, E-Suites is going to make more revenue, but JustSquare is going to show over. Then they're going to see revenue at 35. And then maybe even a third year, there's going to be revenue around 36. Mm. You know, now we're in 2023 and it just looks like there's nothing happening. Mm. But I think in 2024, 2025 is where we see like 50, 60 uh, million in revenue show up. And mm. then, you you know, mm. um, so it's very hidden. And um, mm -hmm. I don't again, I don't expect it to double overnight, mm. but I do think it's a very nice long term compounder. Yeah. You know, this, this, you know, I've been in the healthcare tech business for, for a while and it, it really reminds me a lot about a lot of um, so, there's so much parallel here so it's not going to grow explosively like consumer electronics or consumer app SaaS sort of approach it's not going to grow that that way but there's a clear hurdle to play you have to for example in the healthcare industry you have to go through fda to get cleared and then there's a huge overhead in terms of installation and then once you're in though you're in you're in like it's it's like doctors can't do without without your 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 hardware your your software and it's just going to be a faucet that you turn on and never turns off it's not going to be a, a gushing faucet that just pours money out like like crazy and just explosive growth but there is a there's an obvious barrier to entry for 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 new entrants and once you're in there's a huge huge switching cost um and th that's why you know, when I look at companies that are in this healthcare technology space, they're getting like 20 times revenue. Mm -hmm. um, just because and of with the daily journal run by this, this group of incredible business, these, all these great business minds, which by the way, means that they've written the books literally on moats. Mm -hmm. And uh, the more you dig, the more you find and you recognize, Oh, here's another, here's another thing that they're doing. You know, they're, they're just creating so many win-win opportunities with the entire ecosystem around them. They've just created this network effect because it pays to be with the same provider if you're uh, going to be in, you know, the adjacent county or community mm. or state, perhaps because you just interface on a smooth basis. Mm. Uh, they've actually created this deferred gratification situation. So Tyler and any other uh, seemingly rational. Uh, or reasonable player says, yeah, we're going to do a seven-year implementation. You're going to pay us while you're going to pay us this consulting fee as we do the implementation. Mm. Daily Journal says, we don't really need your money until the end. And so it becomes an easier way to get through the RFP process mm. because actually they create a positive IRR for the municipality. Mm -hmm. They say, you know, by the time we're done, you'll eliminate this room of storage you will no longer need to offer this service. You can repurpose this employee who used to do paper filings. Uh, you know, we're going to streamline things. And the IRR becomes positive. So these, these business people 
um, are doing things with a long-term vision in mind the right way. And, uh, and that's right. So, so it's a, you have the greatest business model, you have great business mind, and then it's selling at five times revenue where everything else is selling for 15 or 20 times. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly exciting, uh, exciting company. I encourage everybody who's listening to take, go take a look, uh, at this company. It certainly does sound very interesting, but, um, the important thing here is that, uh, you need to, you know, obviously you need to kind of do your own due diligence. Uh, this is not a financial advice. Uh, make sure you do your own research. And, you know, we talk about this all the time in our podcast. You know, the, the best thing about investing is obviously, you know, you get to make money, but also you get to learn about the world and you get to learn about companies that provide software for municipalities and courtrooms. I mean, it's as, as, as esoteric as, as, as it is, it's interesting. I mean, there are people who are, you know, this is their life and you know there's a company around that so i encourage everybody go to go take a look matt it's been a pleasure uh thank you so much for coming on to the podcast uh you know we talked a lot about many things um and you know i'm sure our listeners will have more questions for you and and so how, how can people get in touch uh with you yeah uh good question i'm i am uh, I think it's easiest to go to the website, petersonfunds.com. Uh, there is, I have written 10 years of quarterly letters. There's a uh, medias and appearances page where there's other interviews and things. Um, from there, you'll be able to find certainly my email address and um, we have a YouTube channel. Um, there's a whole lot, but I'd start on the website, petersonfunds.com. Uh, and um, and yeah, happy to answer any further questions. Awesome. I'll leave those. Uh, I'll leave uh, Matt's uh, contact in the description uh, below. So please go check Perfect. him out. Perfect. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Matt. And thanks for coming to the podcast. And thanks everybody for listening. I hope to see Backo, you. Backo, it's a real pleasure. Thank you very much for having me on. I appreciate it. Awesome. All right. I'll talk to you guys later. Thanks.